P-U-X World. P-U-X World. P-U-X World. Branding with the big faces. I love listening to it. Kane Sims. Kane Sims. Kane Sims, the one and only. Britain's finest, Mr. Kane Sims. Dustin. Dustin. Dustin Coates. I like it when you guys are together and talking about voice. Without further ado, welcome to the show. All right. Hey, hey. Here we are. How do? Is it Thursday already? It's Thursday already. Would you believe that? Man. It is uh it is well and truly Thursday and we're rolling strong into the weekend and we have got a fantastic guest lined up today in Justin Randall. Justin, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, thank you very much for having me. I am uh, honored and humbled and for being here. Your your podcast has been an excellent frame of reference for me as I've been working through, you know, building our sort of smart, smart IVR uh, virtual assistant uh, for our call center. So so thank you very much for doing this. No problem. No problem at all. I'm just posting the link to the LinkedIn event in case uh, in case it doesn't show up in the event. But yeah, no, welcome and thanks for thanks for joining us. How's things baby wise, Dustin? You've had a intense couple of days. Yeah, yeah. I was telling Kane just before the call that my wife has gone back to work, so I'm all alone with the baby from about 9 a.m. to 7 p.m. And yesterday definitely kicked my butt. Uh, the baby missed her mom for sure. But today, by the end, I was like, I could do this. Like, I, I can, uh, I can do this. I was, um, I gave her a bath by myself. I was like getting laundry done. I was like, this is quite nice. We'll see how tomorrow goes, though. <laughs> nice, nice. That's good. That's good. Uh, a few things before we kick off. So today. Welcome for everyone joining us. Uh, if it's the first time you've tuned in, this is VUX World. Welcome. And uh, this is the podcast where we talk about practical voice AI and conversational AI strategy implementation, strategy, design, development, the whole nine yards. And today, Justin is going to walk us through how he created and implemented a bot, an automated agent in the contact center for Comwave using Dialogflow. We're going to walk through the whole process uh, and we're going to get uh, Justin's experience and insights for do- doing this for the very first time. Uh, but before we kick off a couple of things one thing dustin i don't know whether you noticed it but i think i might be able to join you and call myself a published author i saw that congrats man yeah how cool is that congratulations yeah so a little bit of backstory what happened is um a while back i was asked to do an article for harvard business review and it was all about uh, the future. Well, it was about voice AI and I chose the future of voice uh, shopping, basically, because it was something I was particularly into at the time. Wrote this article for Harvard Business Review. Uh, it was published on the site, all that kind of stuff. And then I got a message the other day from someone saying, oh, uh, I wanted to connect seeing your article in the year in tech 2021. I thought, that's interesting. What's that? Uh, and he sent me a couple of pictures. Turns out that Harvard Business Review published about six or seven different books every year. Uh, this one is the tech one for 2021. And I'll quote, I'll quote Dustin. It says, uh, a year of Harvard Business Review's essential thinking on tech. All right. And when you look inside, you've got, uh, this sounds very self-congratulatory, but it was a very big surprise. And I am very pleased with it. Uh, inside, you've, you've got basically an intro uh, you know, around what this book is all about. And the very first article that you will come across is how voice assistants could change the way we shop. Written by yours truly. Congratulations. How fantastic is that? So I don't think I can quite call myself a published author in the same vein as you, Dustin, because it is an yeah, article I think it wrote mine and you've wrote an entire book. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, take it where you can get it, don't you? Yeah, that's great. That's great. Yeah. Where, where can we pick up one of those books? 
uh, Amazon, I believe. Maybe we'll oh, put yeah. a link in the show notes. Uh, it's only, I don't know, $20 or something like that. 12 quid in the UK. Uh, I haven't read the whole thing yet. I only turned up today. But uh, yeah, there you go. Over the moon. Anyway, moving on. <laughs> Enough about the uh, self-congratulatory boasting. Uh, moving on. So, uh, Justin, welcome. Uh, welcome to the show. As we said, very, very glad to have you along. And uh, tell us a bit about yourself and about what you do at Conway. So you're the Chief Innovation Officer at Conway. Tell us a little bit about what that role entails uh, and a little bit about Conway as well for those that are not based in Canada or who might not be familiar. Absolutely, yeah. So I'll start with uh, with Comwave in that case. So I mean, we're we're one of the largest independent telecommunications providers in Canada. So we offer, and we're probably most well known for our residential offerings of you know like internet, home phone, uh, TV. But we're also very focused on B two B, providing you know managed internet, managed network security, um, and uh, and products of that sort. We also probably lesser known about us. We have a very large wholesale VoIP network. Uh, where we also provide, whether it's Canadian or international, uh, you know, voice termination to both national uh, carriers and some carriers around the globe. So uh, my role, uh, of course, I currently hold the title of Chief Innovation Officer, but I've been with the company for quite some time. So I started uh, around 2006, where we were working in what is now a small, you know, furniture warehouse. Uh, so this is back in the time where I could stand up and sort of do a quick turn of the head and see the entire, you know, 15 people, you know, that were working for the company. And, uh, you know, today, you know, including agents where we're about, you know, 500 employees. Again, we, we, we cover, you know, a very, very large footprint in Canada. And uh, we've been able to achieve a lot of these great things, you know, in part from, of course, great business decisions, but also on the technology side uh, through lots of automation. So automation has been part of uh, what I've been responsible for from the get-go. Uh, when I showed up, uh, it was kind of funny, you know, I, I came from a much bigger, you know, service provider before arriving at Conwave and, you know, I took on a role as, you know, voice engineer and uh, and showed up at my first day of work going, cool, you know, where's the rest of the engineering team? And uh, my boss was like, oh, yeah, uh, it's you. Right. So it's like, oh, and uh, suddenly, I, you know, I, I had to think about building data centers, you know, network engineering, you know, systems architectures and and, and software development outside of, let's say, CRM and, and customer facing web pages. So uh, it's actually very excited again to be on this podcast. I usually a lot of the software projects that I work on uh, are not necessarily things that are, are customer facing uh, or even necessarily that publicly interesting. So it was very cool to, to work on, on Penny or, or Virtual Agent or Smart IVR or VoiceBot, whatever you want to call these things, uh, and, and be able to share my story. And what, what does Penny do? Uh, yeah, that's a great question. So, so Penny, and this is, you know, I'll sort of tie this into one of the reasons why you may, why you probably should or shouldn't consider this. Uh, Penny is an IVR replacement. Right. So you think you hear virtual agent, you hear you see, you know, Google Duplex and, you know, that that reservation booking. And I think a lot of people think, oh, this is going to replace, you know, uh, call center agents. Well, it's definitely not that, you know, in, in my mind, this is about replacing the IVR. Right. So you think about, um, you know, traditional phone systems, you call in, you know, please, you know, listen carefully. Our options have changed. You know, maybe you've got a language selector as your first prompt. Then you've got some, you know, tiered. Ultimately, you're trying to get to, to the point where you're going to transfer someone to to the right person. Right. And that's where, you know, some of the advancements in uh, in speech recognition and all that can really provide value instead of, you know, forcing someone to listen to who knows how long of a prompt sort of to hear all the different tiered menu options and finally get to someone. Uh, Penny is there so that you can say, 
you can describe your problem using natural language, of course, and there may be some follow-up prompts, but the idea like where, where I see Penny as, as a great success is if someone can just say one you know, clear sentence and Penny, oh, okay, you know what? Just confirming this is, this is what you're calling about. Okay, awesome, let me help you. And of course, one of the secondary benefits of that is if there is a skill that Penny can take care of, uh, then perhaps we can also get first call resolution. I mean, if you think about IVRs, uh, there's nothing new about IVRs that are doing actions on behalf of customers. I mean, even in the, the DTMF IVRs, you know, you've got things like make a payment, check account balance, um, and, and all sorts of different things that many companies have been doing for years. But it's all about simplifying the, or reducing the friction for the customer that it takes to get to those stages. And beyond that, sorry to, to expand, you know, uh, shortening the, the the call duration time itself. So if you think about, you know, the tools that might be available to your agents, um, sorry, you know, maybe just, just sorry, sorry, go ahead. sorry, I'm going to stop you there. I think we've got a bit of an issue. Um, I basically Chrome crashed and I've restarted it and it's still telling me it's live. But the comments on YouTube and the comments on um, and on LinkedIn say it's not working. Okay. Hey, can, uh, can I added a, um, a link that works? Oh, is there another link that works? Yeah, oh, there's okay. another link that works. So if you're listening to us, you found the link that works. If you're not listening to us, you're probably at the link that doesn't work. But I added that in the YouTube comments, so hopefully we get some people Fantastic. Uh, I will put uh, that on LinkedIn. Up there. What, what happened basically was, um, what happened is Chrome crashed. <laughs> and uh, yeah, basically... Uh, Things went peach here, but I can't see your comment, Dustin. Can you post it in this chat, please? In yeah, because there's people on in uh, asking. Oh no, it's live on LinkedIn. This is very weird. It's live on LinkedIn now, by the looks of things. Sweet. Yeah, so we're all good on YouTube. We're all good on LinkedIn. We're just not on the original link on YouTube. Right. So I just share that with you. Okay, that's fair enough. This is the work. Right. Fair enough. Okay, fine. Thanks for that, Dustin. Uh, cool. Right. <laughs> Apologies. No, no, Apologies, okay. Justin. Uh, yeah. Chrome crashed, so I missed a bit of it. And then anyway, well, let's 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 rerun that again. So we, we were in the process of talking about considerations that Penny isn't necessarily a replacement for agents. It's not going to it's that's not the point. The aim is to essentially replace the IVR. That's, that's kind right. of train of thought. Right. And then so some of the secondary benefits behind that, of course, are reduced call hold time. So if you think about, you know, even the role an agent has to play today, uh, they might take the call. They're handling the customer's request. If you've if you've got a great system in place, maybe they don't need to log into multiple systems. Chances are maybe the agent might have to go into different systems to fulfill the customer's request. Maybe it's to look up information, uh, so on and so forth. Uh, well, one of the things that, of course, but you can do this with DTMF IVRs as well as, as virtual agents, uh, you can actually pull and aggregate a whole bunch of that data before the agent even receives the call. So rather than receiving a call and, and trying to get, you know, hey, how may I help you? Uh, there's already a very, you know, synthesized summary of, of not only the reason for the call, but maybe even some some steps that you can take or some steps that may have already been taken to try and help uh, the customer's request or, or even shorten the call. One of the very quick things, again, we're an internet provider, right? So of course, when people call in and, you know, they're, they're having something with their internet, what's the first thing that, that we're gonna tell people? You know, did you turn it off and on again? 
right? So like, believe it or not, like there's a lot of people that still don't do that, right? So you think, you know, um, we've already achieved, you know, a 1% first call resolution just on on asking people to turn it on off and on again, right? Uh, which is essentially allowed Penny to pay for herself, right? Mm-hmm. And then, uh, you know, but beyond that, once an agent takes a call, their previous steps would have been walking through the customer, turning it off off and on again. So if you think, you know, we recommend, you know, unplugging it for a few minutes, plugging it back in, waiting, you know, five, seven minutes, like that's, that's, that's call hold time right there, right? So being able to do that before the call already goes to an agent is already, uh, already a big savings. Interesting. Yeah. So how many, how many kind of use cases does penny do at the moment then like what what sort of what's the scope of what penny does right now absolutely so uh penny really handles technical support tickets uh and billing disputes uh we have a lot of features uh in the funnel in uh in in our pre-production environment right now we have a a release planned in february where we are going to augment uh, the skills quite a bit Uh, but right now it's focused on billing disputes and technical support and we 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 wanted to do it that way also to to be able to get penny out the door to make penny successful because i mean if we if we had sat there and we had planned here's all of the use cases we would love penny to be able to handle ahead of time we'd probably still be coding for another year and a half Right. So it's, it was very much about how can we create, you know, very focused benefits from Penny very early. Like if you call our IVR right now, the first prompt, you know, is still actually a DTMF IVR. This is, you know, to, to check your balance or make a payment, push one for customer service, two, so on and so forth. So if you do, you know, push two for customer service, push four for technical support, you will reach Penny. Right. And at that point, uh, you can speak naturally. Penny should be able to identify even even things that Penny can't do anything about. Penny should still pick up on those words and get you rooted to the right department. So it sounds then like you're taking an iterative approach. Is that right? That's correct. Absolutely. Small successes, uh, small, short success cycles rather than, you know, deploying it in one big shot and and dealing with uh, with the chaos. Mm. And how do you determine then, uh, you know, I I guess I'm essentially asking you, how do you determine what's on your roadmap? How do you determine uh, what are those small successes that you then move on and and graduate uh, to the big leagues? Absolutely. So, I mean, it's it's always good to start with use cases that are, like in my case, familiar to me, but also that represent a decent amount of call volume. So, uh, of course, you know, we've operated a, a call center for like decades, right? So we know what our call drivers are. We can we can go to our call center and say, hey, what's our what's our top three, you know, call drivers, you know, per department. So focusing on those and, and what can we do to help those? But the in our case, it was a little bit different. We we had uh, a very unfortunate situation, you know, fall onto us, which was uh, the sudden closure of our outsourced call center due to a positive screening of COVID, mm-hmm. right? So in a building that had thousands of agents, you know, we, we maybe had a few hundred agents working there. Uh, we just got a call one morning that said like, hey, you know, building's closed. You don't have a call center. So we're like, wait, what? <laughs> Hold on, what? So uh, we very quickly scrambled, of course, right? And, uh, you know, a lot of customer service functions, or I shouldn't say a lot, but we had, you know, reasonable customer service functions online, like on our, on our webpage and things like that. But where, where people were the most upset was in technical support. So mm-hmm. you imagine, you know, as a telecommunications provider, I mean, people, people look at us and they say, oh, you know, they sell internet, they sell phone, they sell TV, and, and they're not wrong. But in truth is, you know, we're not like 
people don't actively seek to buy internet. People don't seek to, to buy home phone or buy TV. What they're looking for is a way to connect to their social media. They want a way to watch their favorite. They want to, they want entertainment. They want to connect with family. They want to do things that are meaningful to them. So when these things don't work, people are mad. Right now, of course, when, when you're upset, like how many people today would, if your internet was down, would simply send a gently worded email to their service provider and patiently wait a few days, you know, for them to get back to you. Absolutely not. Right. You're going to pick up the phone and you're going to call. Right. Because uh, you need your internet working. And then what do you do if no one can answer the phone? Right. So one of the, one of the first things we did, and actually I should, I should rewind a bit. Like I never had more customers look me up on LinkedIn and, and treat me personally as a service channel for Comwave <laughs> than, than in those first early months. And, you know, it's, uh, I, I don't blame them, right? Because, uh, you know, when, when you've got the, the customer base that we have in terms of size, like, I mean, it's not, we're not ignoring a small amount of calls when we're, when we're, when our call center is closed. And so uh, the need to be able to, to field technical issues uh, was very critical. Now, I was lucky myself that my first job in telecommunications was a tech support agent, right? So I did internet support, I did phone support, uh, not TV at the time, but uh, so I was very familiar with the lexicon used, how customers talked about things. Uh, we had a lot of existing tickets, whether it's from the web or call recordings from past voice things. So uh, I was in a good position to be able to take my own experience, uh, my own experience as a software developer and a, and a VoIP engineer, uh, and be able to sort of hobble my way through, you know, putting something together. The first thing we did was DTMF, you know, based. So, you know, hey, if it's a problem with your internet, you know, push one, push two, push two. Those were there before, but they were just a route to a department. In this case, the difference was uh, we were kicking off a ticket, right? So we were actually creating that service request and giving the number. Uh, and then, you know, we, we quickly sort of assembled a small, well, as big as a team as we could, which was a small call center team at such short notice, to at least do outbound callbacks. And so very quickly, we found our customers stopped screaming as much and they were, they were happier being able to call uh, and issue that ticket, right? And and of course, you know, fast forward to today, uh, well, sorry, in between there, we realized, you know, how are we gonna quantify all the different types of issues, right? Like we can't just say blanket, you know, internet, home phone, TV, right? There's of course many different types of issues. Is it a speed issue? Are you down, you know? And, and we, you know, to be honest, we obviously have to prioritize customers who are down versus a customer that said, you know, last night my Netflix was buffering, but everything else, it's okay. But but how do we even get that Netflix is buffering in the DTMF IVR, right? Are you going to program keys for all possible streaming services or online games or or you name it? That's It's wild, right? And, and imagine a customer listening to all those options, right? Uh, you'll have to have, what, double or triple digit DTMF entries at that point. And so uh, that's where that's where natural language became the way. Right. How do we how do we just let people describe their problem, scrape as much information as we can? Uh, you know, we're scraping things like, you know, even if you if you mention a family member, well, you know, I'm really sorry it affected your time with your family. Because remember, people are consuming telecommunication services to do things like work from home or, you know, talk to family or enjoy entertainment. So it's important to empathize for the use case for the customer. Right. And then there's 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 you know, a whole bunch of other little bits, like what's, what's your modem color lights? You know, is it a problem calling a specific country, city? And we're not forcing anybody to give us those details, right? Because that would also make, you know, the process of, of a virtual agent fairly arduous. You're still gonna have to answer tons of questions, but, uh, but Penny is set up to detect, you know, a significant number of entities. 
from from the problem description and categorize them, but then keep the the confirmations fairly simple. And if it's something Penny can help with, great. Otherwise, get you to an agent as soon as possible. Cool. Just checking this is still running because my Chrome Chrome crashed again. <laughs> it's, it's an absolute nightmare. This. If it is running, can someone just please drop a comment on the uh, in the chat? And John, I know you I know you put a question in there uh, for Justin, which we'll get to around. Um, decision trees and, and things like that and whether that's the best approach um but before then it sounds as though penny does a hell of a lot you know um although it might be it, oh we're good thank you ash that's good um and al- although it might be um you know specific to support tickets and things like that it still sounds as though there's a very broad scope so um and then some call some call centers or most call centers have that data some don't in terms of like figuring out what people are calling for what's coming in and then figuring out what you should kind of you know what use cases you should prioritize is that where it started for you is that what your first steps were is looking at what's coming in understanding what the use cases are prioritizing those based on like either volume or complexity or something like that was like like your beginning steps to, to, to do this uh, absolutely. Yeah. Beyond, beyond the immediate need for having tech support accessible by phone in some way. Uh, yes, absolutely. And so even like the features that are, that are coming in February, they're all based on a priority list of, of, of high volume call drivers. Right. So uh, the more things that we can try and help the customer with or the more things that we can try and prepare our agents who are receiving the call uh, with more information, uh, the better. The, the other, I guess, the, the side benefit once you get to you know, NLU, and again, you can do this in the IVR as well, but with NLU, you can extract more information is you have a better visibility of your call drivers before they're answered, right? So if you think of sort of the traditional call center model, you know, you've got an IVR, you've got options, whatever you're, whatever you're forcing your customer to go through as far as a gauntlet of options, you can catalog that and you can say, hey, I just received calls where customers dialed option one, two, three, and four, and that means that it's this problem. But of course, with natural language, you can extract a lot more of that. And suddenly, you know, whereas in the past, your agent would say, hey, you know, or agents would group together and say, you know what, we're, we're starting to get a higher call volume of a, a very specific subtle type of, of issue, right? Uh, well, now Penny can actually pick that up. Like if you have the right dashboards and visualizations, you can see very detailed potentially uh, what your call drivers are before the call's even completed. Hmm. And who's... So you mentioned that in the past, you'd have the the service agents come together and, you know, whether it's over the water cooler and meetings or whatever, and right. discuss those trends that they were seeing. Who's reviewing that now? You're talking about like with Penny or with the existing call center? With Penny, it, with those with those transcripts that are coming in. Um, you're oh, yeah. Again, yeah. Absolutely. So we, we have some automation set in place to, to trigger alerts. Right, based on you know variances of average numbers of cases with certain uh, certain bits, you know about them. So then it'll be an automatic notification like, hey, we've seen a spike, you know, of this thing occurring. Uh, but then obviously the existing processes of you know people noticing it is is still a case. But one of the things I'm very proud of, like we we did have uh, you know a small issue caused by a software upgrade recently that affected I think 0.5 percent of people or 0.5% of calls of a particular service, right? And usually to try and catch that, and intermittently even for that 0.5%. So normally to catch those types of issues, you know, your your traditional like, you know, monitoring systems that are looking for macro problems are not gonna notice that as well. You'd almost have to, to rely on on customer reports for something that intermittent to eventually get there. Like you can you think 0.5%, we can make a hundred test calls and not reproduce it. Right. And so, uh, you know, Penny has successfully been able to identify some of those and notify us of problems uh, before, you know, the, the pulse hits, uh, hits our agents and, and the issue has been experienced for a lot longer than it needs to be. 
And then Glenn Ritchie on LinkedIn has a question that I think Ty is really well into this, which is what are the KPIs are you looking at to measure success? Uh, yeah, that's great. That's a very good question. So um, you're obviously going to want to look at abandon rate. That's one of the big ones, right? So if you have uh, if you have an IVR and you know people are hanging up on it, you obviously want to know, but you also want to know where. So your KPIs should be contextual, right? It shouldn't just be a matter of hung up. Okay, people hang up. Maybe maybe they fix their problem before they got through, right? You want to know where they're hanging up. Uh, you want to keep track of fallbacks of course, right? So uh, fallback, just to be clear, like when, when you're talking about NLU and you're within a specific context, context, you may have certain follow-up intents that are very specific to where you are in the conversation. But of course, if nothing matches, you go to the fallback. So keeping track of where your customers are hanging up, uh, where you're triggering a lot of fallbacks, but even being able to drill down on those fallbacks. And this is one of the reasons that led me to dialogue flow as well as through the reading that I had done at the time before I embarked on my journey, I noticed uh, a few people uh, in, in writing mentioned that, you know, Amazon doesn't give you the query text, you know, uh, for, for, for fallback, they just give you the result in uh, intent. And so that's obviously, you know, very, very difficult to, to troubleshoot and improve if you don't know what the, what the ASR kind of initially thought it was before taking that ASR and mapping it to an intent. So, you know, we have very rich dashboards uh, that'll break down percentage wise of, of fallback intent. So you may have forgotten, you know, an important piece of language or an important way customers may describe something and being able to say, hey, you know what, there's there's a larger amount of fallback intents at that specific contents, context. Let's, let's click and drill down and see what's there. Oh, you know what? Uh, customers you know in the speak to an agent prompt are actually saying representative and you know what there's actually you know 20 percent of fallbacks are because someone's saying representative well let me let me go into these intents now and map representative in addition to agent and now suddenly like that 20 percent is gone and you get your so you refine yourself down to the point where you know uh, where you don't have a sizable portion of fallbacks beyond that obviously you're going to want to capture metrics specific to your call center Right. So depending on the product that you're offering or, you know, in our case, in a support scenario, what are what are the, uh, you know, the sub issues, you know, for for billing disputes, uh, you may want to know, you know, how many customers, you know, are, are triggering, you know, billing disputes, uh, how many disputes uh, your your agent is able to handle, how many they were not able to handle if the agent was or or if Penny was or wasn't able to handle, how many people still decide to talk to an agent afterwards? Um, there's there's an immense amount of KPIs uh, that uh, that we're monitoring today. You were talking about the refinements. Um, I guess the question is, at this point, now that you've been doing this for a while, how much time are you spending on refinements uh, on a weekly or monthly basis? And is that you who's doing it or do you have a specific profile who's who's going in and uh, refining the language model? Yeah, so that, that's a fair point. So I'm going to be completely honest. It's me right now. But, uh, you know, I definitely we've are, I've already started the process of training different different teams. So Penny, Penny came to be as, as a pet project of mine. <clears throat> and so you know, of course, and I'm getting all these, you know, LinkedIn, you know, messages, and I genuinely feel for customers who are, who are having these problems, you know, uh, and, you know, coupled with the pandemic and not being able to go out or, or really have a social life, 
you know, I decided, you know what, I'm going to do something about this. And so, you know, I bought like four books, uh, including yours, Dustin, very good book uh, on uh, on learning, you know, um, NLP and conversational AIs, you know, um, at first I was very interested in also approaching the assistant, uh, appro- like the Google mm-hmm. assistant and, and, uh, and Amazon. But, uh, you know, for us, remember, we're t- I need something that's a lowest common denominator service channel for people to call mm-hmm. it. So one day I would love to, to, for people to be able to say Google assistant, like, Hey, you know, put me in touch with Comwave and, and, and talk that way. But, uh, we, at least for us, it was very clear. The lowest common denominator service channel was, was voice. That's actually perfect timing because Heidi Cohen on YouTube just asked a similar question. I see uh, Kane's got it all uh, lined up as well. What other books and materials did you read that influenced your thinking and um, maybe trained you up to to be able to build this? Absolutely. So the the one that really got me started was I think it was building cognitive virtual assistance with Google Dialogflow. Right. It was a, it was a how to book. I don't I, I'm not usually a, a big how to book reader. I, I like a lot more uh, theoretical design type references, but but I needed to get something done. Right. So I, I bought a few different books. I can pull them out right here. So we have, uh, of course, your book, Dustin, uh, uh, voice applications for Alexa and Google Assistant, uh, designing voice user interfaces by Kathy Pearl. Designing bots by Amir Shabbat and hold the one up, that hold, hold up, Justin, so people can can see the. Oh, sure. I apologize. So, uh, designing voice user interfaces, Kathy Pearl. Classic. Yeah. Uh, designing bots, Amir Shabbat. Mm-hmm. Nice. I hope I pronounced that correctly. Um, voice applications. To get like a book. Google Assistant. Yeah, exactly. Survival. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I actually, so I. I keep really good ongoing reference books in this shelf. The building cognitive virtual assistance to Google Dialogflow being a how-to book, unfortunately, doesn't make a place on my shelf. So it's it's in another bookshelf somewhere else in the house. But I believe it's it's by uh, by A Press uh, as the publisher for that one. Cool. Well, we may as well crack on with the questions because people have got some, some decent questions. And, and John, I know you put a question in here and, and Chrome has since crashed and reopened. So if I do mention it, so please feel free to repost it uh, on LinkedIn. John was asking about the approach to designing the conversational AI. So the, the IVR that you mentioned that you that you started out with, the DTMF is, is the press one for this, press two for that, mm-hmm. to be very much a tree-based narrative yeah. and a tree-based structure. Some people... Uh, approach designing conversations with a tree-based structure. Dustin, we've covered plenty of opportunity, plenty of times before around why that yeah. might be such a good idea. So what was your approach to doing this? Did you go with more of a tree-based structure or did you go with more kind of just letting the user say something and you try and catch the intent and then you, you walk them through whatever that conversation looks like? Yeah, that's a very, very important design point. So I definitely started with a tree structure because again, a traditional telco background, right? I know IVRs, right? So I, I took IVRs and I, I started building an IVR in Dialogflow and it was great for a proof of concept, right? So that's that was fantastic because I could do all, I could do the entire thing in, in Dialogflow at that point, sort of building out all the intents in a tree structure. You know, I, I hooked in Dialog phone gateway without worrying about how to hook it into our existing, existing uh, telephony infrastructure. Uh, you know, I just had mocks. I didn't bother setting up web hooks at first. Uh, ultimately, I wanted to put together something to show my CEO and go, my CEO and my CTO and go, look, look, this is really cool and we can do this, right? And so I built it as a tree structure. And very quickly, when I realized I had to start making changes, particularly doing the tree structure and dialogue flow, that became a big problem, 
right? Uh, and the, the why, maintaining why, why, the tree. Why Sorry. Why, why was that? Well, you know, it, there's a lot of things that you want to say, like, let's say, let's talk about follow up intents that might be contextually relevant, right? Like, even the case of like a, a fallback intent, as an example, like if someone says the wrong thing, in one context, you want to steer them in the right direction, like you want to take those conversational turns and kind of help people in the right direction. So a fallback in one, you know, context might be completely different in another. So you end up having to repeat an immense amount of intents. Right, because it's not just fallbacks. It's things like repeat. It's things like previous. It's things like speak to an agent. There's a whole plethora of, of different follow-up intents, and having to repeat those over and over and over again for every uh, uh, every context in a tree that you've mapped becomes very cumbersome very quickly. Right, and so you know uh, the the approach, of course, in the end was sort of decouple the tree into many let's call them two-layer shrubs right where you've got like one one context and then and then it's follow-up intents and that's it and then your code of course uh is sort of what glues all of that together that's a that's a new uh that could be a new methodology that the two the two shrub approach. Yeah, the two-layer shrub <laughs> two-tier <laughs> two shrub, two -tier shrub. <laughs> two -tier shrub. and then there was another question there's a question that we really want to get to um which is actually, no, it's exactly the same question that is, is relevant here. Um, a lot of teams that we've spoken with, um, it sounds like you're very agile and, and you're, this is a largely a one-man show at the, at the time. But a lot of the teams that we speak with, you, you might have a team that is responsible for the technical content. And then you've got a team who's responsible for the customer for service. And you've got a team that's responsible for the bot and the IVR. So how do you... Uh, how fast can you change and deploy and how do you stay agile? Absolutely. So um, part of being successful with this, remember like Penny is a, is an abstraction of many different, you know, technological successes that we've had at Comwave over the years, right? So you're going to need obviously a very mature software development pipeline. Right. So we have uh, like we have our own, you know, private bare metal Kubernetes clusters. Uh, we're doing serverless microservices for every single one of Penny skills. Like all the APIs that we talk to are, are using open APIs. Uh, so we've got like even easy, you know, visual, you know, testing pages to make sure that things are good. Uh, you're going to want to make sure you have automated testing, automated, you know, load testing. Uh, and so we're we're very lucky to have a lot of that before we even began this. So when it came down to actually putting together Penny, uh, probably the bigger learning curve was actually learning the domain specific language for the voice application used to control the call, right? So you have Google, of course, as the NLU, which, you know, you, you can build a tree in Google, but at that point, you're kind of forcing a linear conversation where conversational AIs are, to me, by nature, shouldn't really be linear. It should be open, right? Um, but ultimately, there is some language that there is some control, element of control that you need to have over the call. Like, what is the what is the conversation vector that, that you're on, right? So here's what I, I think we're doing now. Here's all this code to make sure that we trigger the right forms of the right two-tier shrubs, you know, in, in dialogue flow and maintain conversational state so that when you say back, you know, it goes to the right place instead of, uh, instead of the wrong one. So and what I mean by that, imagine you have, uh, imagine you have something like, um, an internet problem or, or a phone problem, you may have some uh, parameters in your intent uh, to match those that are conditionally optional, right? So you, of course you wanna, you may like, you may wanna have one required problem that is, or one required parameter that is what is the problem. <clears throat> but based on that problem, there may be a few other points that you wanna gather. 
Now, if you, uh, you know, have just one entity, there's no way today that you're going to enforce those conditional parameters. So you need to make everything optional. You need to exit. And then at that point, you have, again, the, the nice two-tier shrubs to kind of prompt for the, the subsequent parameters that you need. But then you need, again, you need to handle back properly. I mean, if I, if I again, sorry, I'm talking circularly here. If I go back to that one entity with all these, these parameters, even if I made them all required and I figured out a way to do that, you know, if I say back while I'm in an intent, and I'm somewhere deeper in gathering a, a subsequent, you know, required parameter, I'm not going to back up the parameter. I'm going to go back to the, the previous intent, right? So breaking apart those things and having ultimate control of the conversation itself, uh, for us, that's done, you know, in this domain-specific language that's outside of, of Dialogflow. Hmm. I want to go back really quickly, sure. if, if you don't mind, to the, you talked about the automated testing. And we talk, yes. uh, or yeah. people in general will talk a lot about building, which I understand it's 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 exciting, it's sexy, uh, but you want to make sure it doesn't break. So I'm assuming that you've got some unit tests in there, but how can you talk a little bit more about what that testing setup looks like? And are you also testing uh, whether someone actually saying something, uh, the, you know, their voice, the the audio is getting to the right place as well? Absolutely, yeah. So um, of course, you know the easiest tests to get done are those low level unit tests. So as we're writing code that does various things, whether it's a, a backend API or, or things like that, um, you know, it's important to, to test your classes, to test your, uh, your various different, you know, um, objects that you're using to, uh, to ultimately provide this API service, you want to test the API externally, right? So this is where, in order to build pipeline, we might launch something like JMeter, right? And start hammering the APIs and do full contract end-to-end -end testing. Uh, you're going to want to, you know, monitor performance on your backend systems too, right? So when we're talking to a database, we've got other systems that are monitoring the, the query performance for each individual table. So we can see if all of a sudden, you know, data gets to a certain point where now, hey, queries are starting to ramp up, you know, we uh, we know we need to maybe partition tables or adjust indexes or, or doing something like that. Uh, but when you get to the actual voice testing, you, you obviously need people involved. Like, I mean, I'm sure there's, you know, there's companies that say we can, you know, do automated testing of your IVRs and stuff like that. And, and that's great. And and I'm sure it works. Uh, for us, you know, we're, we're a small company. We weren't in the position where we were going to go, hey, let's contract this, you know, company to do all this testing for us. We relied on our internal, uh, our internal staff. So, you know, at first, you know, of course, it was me, you know, doing some of this testing. But then once we got to a point where we did a pilot launch, you know, I got permission to email as many people as I could throughout the organization, or it was close to like, you know, 40-ish people, um, very diverse, right, group, which was good. And uh, everyone just, I gave them a list of topics like, hey, try and open up a ticket for this. Try and, like, without guiding them to tell the language, like, hey, say this, because of course that's not what you want. You want people to say it in their own way. So open a ticket for this, open a ticket for this, you know, do the following things, and then note the uh, note the, the result. And then, uh, of course, afterwards, I went through all of it, right? So Google does have, uh, you know, a... Uh, uh, what should I call it? Uh, yeah, the training console, which will actually show you what people have said, what intent it was mapped with. And then that's when you discover, you know, that accents and, and even just a, a, an inflection on your tongue at that particular moment in time will result in, uh, in you know, detecting things that, that aren't, you know, recognizable. And so at that point, um, you know, it was, it was interesting. Like the strategy that we took is what well, we figured, like, uh, we can actually augment the entities for a lot of those words that are that are confusing. And remember, Google, Google will actually use your entities to help guide the speech recognition, 
So if you can take some of those difficult words uh, where accents do result in, uh, in, you know, some groups being able to trigger more successfully than another, take those failed cases and loop them in under the same entity. And by, by recognizing those, you know, like a, one of the examples, of course, that we run into is someone saying, like, you know, I want to speak to an agent. Of course, it, it came up to uh, like Dialogflow detected it as I want to speak to an Asian. Right. So the key is agent entity map. This as another possibility for that. So that way, at least, you know, we're, we're triggering the right intent uh, and we're doing something to, to compensate for accents. And of course, different wordings and stuff like that, you would just add them into the training data of the intents themselves. Hmm. Are there any regional Canadian accents that are harder than others? I mean, it's funny, like I, I even triggered funny stuff, you know, speaking English to, to dialogue though. So I don't even know if it's, if it's specific to accents or even just the fact that there was some odd ambient noise, you know, in the background that somehow, you know, when being processed by the ASR influenced, you know, the detection of my speech. Uh, but yeah, I mean, we, of course in Canada, like if you go from East to West coast, there, there are absolutely different uh, regional accents. I want to get I want to get through some of these some of these questions here. There's a guy Andrew Francis. He uh, apologies for not getting around to it till a bit later. He's posted it twice, so I definitely want to get to this one. Um, so you've spoke about using dialogue flow. You spoke yeah. about why you chose dialogue flow. You spoke a lot about what's sitting behind dialogue flow. Um, how did you actually make the integration? Then from from the conversation so far, this question from and this is LinkedIn user here. It's from Andrew Francis. Um, so he's asking. Are you using the Dialogflow telephone gateway to make this integration or have you done something more specific to, to integrate into your contact center? Yeah, it, it's a great question. So I use the telephone gateway for a proof of concept, uh, but it is not, I mean, hopefully no one, no one hates me for saying this, but it is not suitable for production in my opinion, right? Because when you're, when you're dealing with, you know, a call center, right? Cause, like, Cause let's remember what we're trying to do here. At least in our use case, we're talking about a call center, right? So you don't want to drop your customer's calls. You want to ultimately maintain control of the call, right? And so, you know, when you've got, you know, your entire, you know, phone, everything going to dialogue flow, you know, what happens if your what happens if your call drops? Where, where does it go there, right? And let's not pretend that, you know, the big tech giants don't have errors. I mean, we, we had a problem, I'll give you an example, like last week, uh, where a certain giant, you know, tech company uh, was having a massive outage every day at nine in the morning. I think it was because of the the sudden spike of, of, uh, of the classroom service that they're offering, right? Uh, but in our case, our calls didn't drop because our, our call controller is outside of Dialogflow. So of course we had tons of Dialogflow API failures uh, at that time. Um, but again, if you're using your, if your application is outside of Dialogflow, which ours is, we can actually maintain that call state. And this is one of the advantages that, that telecoms have also in offering this is like we run our own phone network. Like if you think about it, we, we are your gatekeepers to the internet, to the cloud, to the PSDN, right? So we're situated in probably the most perfect place to offer these virtual agents uh, servers. I mean, we have direct fiber between our data center and Google's data centers in the same building, right? As well as full access to a large SS7 network footprint. And again, if you think about support, let's say you do have a call drop. <clears throat> are you calling Google and saying, I want you to figure out what carrier and who's responsible for that drop call? Right. Uh, when it comes to telecom, it's already a fiercely competitive market, which means that there's a certain baseline expectations of product quality and product support. 
So yeah, I mean, it's already baked into into our way of business. If you've got you know call issues or whatnot, yeah, we'll we'll figure that out. We'll actually work with carriers. We'll figure out who's at fault. And in the case of you know Dialogflow, it gives us an advantage of resiliency, right? So in those cases at 9 a.m., of course, when when all those calls were failing because you know such and such was having capacity problems or whatever it may have been, you know the the behavior for our customers was sort of a silence for a few seconds, and then flipping back into our DTMF version of the IVR that runs solely in our telephony platform and lets the customers get through. Mm-hmm. Right. So our solution is is uh, is it's obviously our we have a whole bunch of commercial partners that we ultimately make that ultimately when assembled together make what I'll call the Comwave Media Server, right? Uh, and on these Comwave Media Servers, it's essentially uh, using the Google uh, gRPC v2 API for streaming. Mm-hmm. Nice. I'm just debating which one we take next. There, there, there is so many questions coming through. The discussion is so lively. We did have a bit of an outline for this uh, discussion, but I mean, it seems as though people have quite a lot of questions, and so we can we can pick some more of these up if uh, if you're happy. And I don't know whether we'll get through them all, but we can we can certainly try. So this is more of a technical question, which is maybe in some way related to uh, your your previous question. You might have to define some of these terms for people who are not from the contact center uh, space. But uh, Amy says sometimes. Sometimes different TFNs, I don't know what that stands for, what's that stand for, TFN? Toll-free numbers. Toll-free numbers, cool. Need different configurations when going through an IVR, depending on the business lines. Does your platform or does what you've created uh, have an interface to manage these configurations um, or has that not been an issue? Absolutely, yeah. So we, uh, of course, again, telecommunications company, we're actually using the most advanced business, you know, telephony or unified communications platform in the world. Um, and so like we essentially map subscribers and subscriber numbers through that platform directly into voice uh, or voice applications, right? So we've even templatized Penny, for example. Uh, Penny didn't start out as Penny. Penny actually had a different name and a different voice at first, uh, but we templatized it even within this uh, the system so that we could take any number and you know map it to voice application ABC, or in this case, like a call center agent, right? Uh, and pass an array of parameters that could influence, you know, name, what uh, what TTS voice we're using, um, uh, and, and all that sort of stuff. What what phone numbers are, are going to be triggered based off off of different numbers, and and so on and so forth. Cool, nice one. Uh, what about persona? So your design approach uh, to creating Penny, you've called it Penny. Is it yeah. her? Is it is it is it an it? Uh, and Georgios asks, any persona design? Did you actually do conscious persona design, or did you just use whatever the voice came from uh, Google Assistant and try and piggyback on on the on the kind of more bland persona that that Google Assistant might have? Yeah. So it's uh, yeah, it's a very good question. So. Uh, one of the things I hope to eventually get to is also branded personas, right? Uh, but of course, that that would have required considerable amount of more time. And right now, it's about adding functionality and 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 reducing effort for our customers before getting to the point of doing all that persona branding. But uh, but yeah, so <clears throat> a lot of the dialogue was done. You know, I would say the first pass was me just writing things down, right? And then working with, uh, you know, business leaders and marketing to kind of curb a few things, but they they definitely allowed, you know, some leeway with with some of the small talk options and, and some of the banter. So it's, uh, it's an area that I would say we still need to 
um, revisit and build out. Because again, like I mentioned, I would I would love to have adaptable personas. Like if you look at, you know, if you read books on on customer experience, you know, you'll find that you know different people calling about different issues will have different. Um, uh, we'll expect different styles of interaction, right? Like, you know, if, if someone's calling because they feel that, you know, you've ripped them off on their bill, do you really want your agent to be all happy and bubbly and, and you know, cheerful? You, you probably want to be a little bit more serious and professional, right? So right now, Penny has, uh, I would say, a, a generally positive demeanor. I, I try, there's a, you know, you can joke around with Penny a little bit to an extent. There's a couple Easter eggs there, but, uh, but eventually, yes, I would like to react a little bit better and say, you know, again, if I know a customer's fuming, you know, change the tone a little bit and, and be a little bit more uh, adaptive. We've got a question now from Michael Nelson. Can you share how calls are eventually routed to live agents? Yeah, absolutely. So at the end of the day, um, you know, a call center is a call center. You've got queues. Uh, maybe you've got, you know, different priorities of queues, queues for all sorts of different purposes. So when a call actually goes to a queue uh, within our voice uh, application uh or a voice program or whatever, we're, we're transferring the calls, right? So we have, and again, this is part of the, the input parameters, so we can even change those destination numbers based on the incoming number. Uh, but yeah, so once we've determined where the call should go, uh, that call ultimately transfers to a queue uh, whereby the agents uh, are, are subscribed to that queue. Now, again, we're a telecommunications provider. We've been selling call center, like voice-based call centers for years. So we're, we eat it, we, as this expression goes, we eat our own dog food, right? So we are using the same call center product that we sell to our businesses, right? So it's, uh, it's great. Like, I mean, obviously there's, there's a future product in Penny in, in my eyes. There's, uh, there's obviously a few things that we need to do to, to take it where it wants to be. But the, the goal is to be able to offer standalone virtual agents and smart IVRs. Maybe you already have a call center product that you enjoy. Uh, but also, hey, if you want the whole thing, we can do that too. Mm. Interesting. So what what is is there's a question here around chat and uh, we've been talking about um been talking about ivrs quite a lot uh, yeah. from from uh g-u-s-f-c i imagine penny right now is ivr is there any is there any potential do you see in extending penny to other channels is that something that you've considered of course absolutely uh, I mean, again, like you want you want to be able to offer the service channel that your customer prefers or that your customers prefer. So, you know, whether it's chat, whether it's email, uh, whether it's, you know, submitting web requests that wind up in an email. But what we found and especially, uh, you know, when we lost our call center is when it comes to the lowest common denominator and when it comes to the reasons why people call us. Right. Because remember, again, we're talking about people call us because they're not able to watch Netflix or you know, they're not able to, you know, call their, their family member overseas or, you know, so it's, uh, <clears throat> sorry, it's, uh, I apologize. Sorry. I lost, uh, <laughs> sorry, do, you, do you mind refreshing me there for a second? Yeah. yeah. So, so we were talking about, um, we we're talking about potentially extending oh, yeah. into other channels beyond diving. I apologize. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So there's, there's a sense of immediacy and, and, you know, chat, chat can be relatively immediate. Uh, but uh, but for us, the, the main focus is on building out the voice channel and making it perfect. Like I am by no means claiming that Penny is perfect right now. There's still rooms that there's still room for improvement. Penny is absolutely a success in, in the goals that we sought out to do. But again, one of the benefits also of building out your voice channel first, it's kind of, you know, a good way to assess the performance of your other channels, isn't it? Right. Because if you've got chat or you've got email or you've got web and things are going wrong and people aren't getting, you know, what they want or, or, uh, or they're getting frustrated, 
I know for me, I, I call. Mm-hmm. Right. So by by taking that call and really building that out, like you, someone may even utter, I tried to use your your chat bot, you know, and I couldn't do it. They, they may say that to your virtual agent. Right. Uh, and being able to pick up on that or even being able to pick up like maybe you launched a new chat bot and suddenly you see a spike of increased calls. Right. Because people tried to use it and found it confusing and therefore now they just want to know more about it or understand how it works. Right. So focusing on voice for us is the priority. Because again, lowest common denominator, a good measure of a good uh, pulse taker, you know, for the performance of, uh, of your other service channels. Hmm. And now what you've done is, is really impressive, starting off from this, this, lean, um, this lean approach and, and really being able to build it iteratively. So if someone's watching this or listening to it later and they would want to do the same thing at their company, do you have any advice for them wanting to start out? Absolutely. The the single biggest advice, and I think uh, it was Dan Miller from Opus Research, I think I actually mentioned this the other day, do not ignore the hard lessons from experts, right? Because we certainly ignored a couple and 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 paid the, the price in the end, right? So, you know, of course, we, we built this virtual agent and from our own testing, we we're like, ah, this is great. You know, it's, it's doing the things we want, like it, it's working well. Let's just force our customers to go through it. <laughs> Right. Because you have a positive experience. You've tested it. It's working great. You've tested it across, you know, a broad group of people across your organization. You feel okay. You feel confident in it. Right. At the end of the day, you know, again, we're talking about customer experience. We're talking about making it frictionless. No matter how good your bot is, there are people who are not going to want to talk to it. And how do you want to treat those customers? Right. So very quickly, you talk about, uh, you know, performance metrics, KPIs that we're monitoring. Well, you know, out of the gate, yeah, 30 percent of people were just hanging up. Right. So and it was it was big. And so, you know, we of course, we tried we looked at why we tried to improve things. But at the end of the day, like I like looking at calls, there were people who would just call, hear a bot, hang up and call and call back. And some people would call 10 times in a row and expect a different result and but keep hanging up. And so, you know, eventually, yeah, we, we had to add in the ability for customers to bypass. Like people would call in, sorry, and mash zero. But of course, mashing zero didn't get you anywhere. It basically got some kind of response from Penny, essentially begging, you know, please give me a chance. Please let me help you. <laughs> this is for your benefit, not mine. <laughs> but, but people don't care. Right. And so the positive news about that, though, was, of course, we were worried. Well, if we allow people to skip Penny, you know, we're going to lose all of this value, like all of this data that we're getting, all of these you know, benefits from Penny, they're going to be gone. Right. And, you know, I'm happy to say the moment we added the ability for people to skip penny, you know, that that 30 percent, you know, hang up, you know, after identifying themselves became 5 percent. But none of the other uh, proportions of call distribution changed. So the the 70 percent of people who were totally fine going through penny continued to go through penny. And so that that was a big win for us. And then the the next stage, again, is same thing. You know, we're like, okay, well, we at least have to identify the caller. Like, you know, that's going to provide so much value. We need to identify the caller. Again, you know, the the, the percentage was a lot smaller. It was, it was a, I think it was maybe like 4% of people were hanging up without logging in, but then a different problem happened, right? Suddenly there was an issue with the authentication database. And then what, then what do you do, right? In terms of needing to authenticate the customer? Well, you can't. And so what did you do there? Your customers can't even get through to your call center, right? So 
trying to force your customers to go through that ideal positive path in your IVR or in your virtual agent. Uh, it was pretty much in every single book I've read on bots <laughs> was like, don't do this. Know when you need to know when you need to escalate to a human. And that is absolutely true. Nice. That's wicked. What, what, if anything, what would you change about Penny? Would you change anything about Penny? Uh, I mean, all I have is a laundry list of things that I want to do to improve, <laughs> to improve Penny, right? But um, <clears throat> uh, I would say, like, ideally, I, I would have been able to have more teams involved in uh, in the construction uh, of Penny. And, like, I definitely involved a lot of people from, from testing and, and opinion. So, like, you know, we talk about training data above and beyond, like, ticketing and, uh, and call recording and, and things like that. Uh, I set up forums right uh using our internal forum system being like hey like this is what we're doing you know can you come up with all these different ideas of the way people might describe this stuff uh so one of the things that i i definitely was self-conscious of throughout the process of building penny was the shortcomings of the fact that it was just me working on so many parts so i think you know having a more uh, cross-functional team and being involved from you know ideation through design all the way to, to deployment uh would have been at least i would have i would have felt better and probably less stressed and worried the day we actually you know flipped the switch and went live you know that that, that things were going to go well <laughs> Nice, nice. Well, thank you so much for joining us and apologies for people who, if we haven't managed to get round to your question, uh, then apologies for that. But thank you for all the comments. I don't even know how many comments we've got here. There's been absolutely loads. And uh, if there was any issues with the stream, which I think there might have been because Chrome crashed, crashed twice on me, uh, then apologies for that. But Justin, this has been absolutely immense. I don't think we've had such a deep dive on the podcast for quite some time, Justin, have we? Uh, we've had deep deep dives, but I think this has been uh, really thorough and on a topic that we haven't gone so thorough on before. Awesome. Mm. I think I got through like 20% of the stuff I prepared to talk about, so that's great. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, well, we'll give you the final thought. The final, for any, anything in particular that you, that you were uh, wanting to raise that is really important that you think that people really should be uh, learning from, paying attention to, or things they should consider? Uh, I would say be careful of the uh, Dunning-Kruger effect. Uh, I mean, you can Google it, right? It's it's essentially uh, it's something that I definitely experience. It's uh, it's a, it's a, a cute little graph that essentially shows you know when you're starting to learn something new, how quickly you can let's say read a few books and think like. I know what I'm doing. You know, I, I've suddenly become an expert on this with, you know, very little, uh, not very little, but like with not, not really a sufficient amount of experience, you know, to get you there. And so you want to make sure to catch yourself when you're in those moments and you want to make sure that, uh, you know, you, you acknowledge that you don't know what you don't know. Right. And that's where, for example, your podcast was, was quite helpful, right? Because above and beyond these books, like you've got a fantastic ongoing dialogue with with a bunch of different guests covering a very wide you know, array of topics. And so having that frame of reference will help you transition from that. You know, the, the, some of the comical versions of the Dunning-Kruger effect, say the peak of Mount Stupid, right, uh, will help you translate. Tra uh, transition yourself from the the peak of Mount Stupid to the platform of sustainability, which is where you, when you realize 
realize that you know, oh, you realize the amount of stuff that you don't know, and you can focus, you know, your your attention, picking up the skills uh, where you need to go and when to defer to experts or, or when you should look up more information. And you definitely don't want to pull the trigger of going production when you're on the top of Mount Stupid. I, I absolutely was guilty of doing that. Like we didn't go production at that point, but I absolutely went uh, to, to my CTO and my CEO and said, it's ready. Right. <laughs> and then we opened the doors for testing and it was not right. <laughs> and a lot of that was, you know, not uh, not having some 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 of the conversation design bits done right. Uh, some of the things that I already explained, you know, were lessons learned in this call, but it took trial and error to get there and a fantastic dashboard and visualization system to at least be able to highlight those problems that, you know, you need to fix. Mm. Fantastic. Uh, he what did you say there, Dustin? He's answered Heidi's question in the chat, but it's not showing up. Yeah, so I was just, uh, Heidi Cohen asked if we will share notes or the key questions or anything like that. And so if you're watching this and you want to go back and, and re-listen, because we know it is chock full of uh, information, we do post that on VUX.world, uh, the recording, and I believe a summary as well. We've got an email list, uh, which you can sign up. And I do believe that we send out an email when that's ready. And if not, at the very least, we'll remind you at some point that we are around and you can go check the website indeed and, and what i've started to do is uh there's the the link if you want to get this on monday when it's properly published uh, as dustin said it'll be on the site we do uh high level summaries but also on youtube we do timestamps as well so you can just literally once the video is being processed you'll be able to just kind of skip through and, and see the timestamp of all the questions and hop back to to uh whichever bits you find uh relevant but if you do want to be notified then then definitely do subscribe to uh to vux.world forward slash subscribe um justin what yeah. about you welcome come on justin no, I was just going to say, Kane. I don't think it's a proper YouTube video unless we point down and say smash, oh, yeah. that, smash that like button, oh. hit subscribe. <laughs> smash that like button, hit subscribe, dudes and dudettes. <laughs> Do that. <laughs> and Justin, if people want to, if people want to follow you online, you know, follow your musings, uh, learn more about what you're up to. Where can where can they go and do that? Uh, yeah, I mean, if, if anyone has any questions, like, feel free to uh, to shoot me an email, you know, jrandall at calmwave.net, J-R-A-N-D-A-L-L at calmwave.net, um, or, you know, follow me on LinkedIn. Cool. Okay, well, I'll, uh, I'll put that on here so people can see it. There it is, jrandall at calmwave.net. Do that. Um, yeah, as I said, this has been absolutely immense. We're getting a lot of uh, a lot of good feedback in the chat saying everyone thanks. Um, so yeah, Justin, thank you so much. And before we do go, really briefly, we do have uh, something coming up which is worth mentioning. If you found this conversation at all useful, but you're maybe not at the point of of being able to uh, implement something yet, or maybe you are considering something, uh, we are running a workshop in partnership with Cognitive. I'll put the link in the uh, in the notes here. Uh, and that's coming up in a couple of weeks' time. Uh, when is it? It is on February the 10th, Wednesday, 10 a.m. PT or 6 p.m. Uh, in Europe. And we'll be walking you through uh, some of the basics around setting up your conversational AI strategy and your conversational automation strategy. Um, and so this is all around, you know, making sure you've got your vision set right, making sure you have... Um, 
the appropriate roadmap in place, the right skills, the right resources, how to choose the right technology uh, and all of that kind of stuff, covering probably a lot of what we've covered uh, here with, with Justin as far as the technology is concerned, but a lot more as well around how do you sell it into the business, how do you prove the value and all of that kind of stuff. So if you are interested, the link I've just uh, I've just put in the chat and it'll be in the show notes as well. Um, but yeah, before, before we do wrap up, Justin, very finally, thank you so much for joining us. It's been absolutely immense. Really, really enjoyed it. And uh, we will see everyone next Thursday for a chat with Resemble, Dustin. Resemble yeah, another there. another Canadian company, two Canadians awesome. in a row. Indeed, indeed. <laughs> <laughs> Lighting it up. Cool. Nice one. Awesome. Well, until next week. Thank you all. Awesome. Take care. Cheers, Justin. See you soon. <laughs>